This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. We're in Mark chapter number 9, and we've approached these verses, verses 30 through 50, uh, by examining the Lord's words and warnings to his disciples, and we've approached it with this thought in mind, the dangers along the road of discipleship. And as believers, as Christians, uh, we face dangers, and we must be aware of these dangers uh, lest our discipleship becomes anything less than that, and lest we, instead of helping in the cause of Christ, become a hindrance. I want us to read two verses this evening, and then I want to share some concluding thoughts from this passage before we go God willing, into Mark chapter 10 next Sunday. In verse number 49, the Lord Jesus Christ said, For everyone shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost his saltness, wherewith will ye season it? Have salt in yourselves, and have peace one with another. The Lord Jesus Christ began this interaction and this conversation with the disciples by asking them a question. The question is presented in verse number 33 when he said, What, what was it that ye disputed among yourselves by the way? As the Lord Jesus and his disciples returned Uh, to Capernaum and went into the house, we believe, of course, to be the house of Peter, uh, where the disciples had resorted often. As they were along the way, they were involved in a dispute. The dispute, as we have noted, among themselves was who should be the greatest in verse number 34. As the Lord Jesus concludes this conversation, this exchange with his disciples and corrects their attitudes and their thinking, he concludes it in verse number 50 with this statement, have salt in yourselves and have peace one with another. Had we had time to finish the message this morning, we we noted three things as we looked at the danger of corruption. We saw the severity of sin And then we saw the sufferings of hell. And had we had time, we would have taken a look at these last two verses and we would have seen the sacrifice of the saints. The sacrifice of the saints. And we read of it in verse number 49. Excuse me, not the sacrifice, but the saltiness of the saints. The saltiness of the saints. 
we read of it in verse 49, for everyone shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost his saltness, wherewith will ye season it? Have salt in yourselves, and have peace one with another. Now, immediately I begin to think, as, as, as I imagine many of you do, of other times when the Lord has used this exact a picture to describe his disciples. And so why don't you look with me, if you would, in Matthew chapter number 5. Matthew chapter number 5. The saltiness of his saints. There are times when we sit down at the meal and uh, we begin to eat and we realize that something is missing. There's an ingredient that we need. And uh, far too often than not for me, it's salt. I like salt. I find out that salt's not good for you. My dad always cautioned me about that when I was younger. Don't use too much salt. But we know that salt in moderation is good for you. Amen? My dad also cautioned me, and he told me that when I got older and had to pay the utility bill, I would not take such lengthy showers. Well, I want you to know I'm older, I pay the utility bill, and I still take lengthy showers. But I think he, he had a good warning for me concerning salt. But salt does add so much uh, to the flavor of food. But more than that, salt in this age, the age of the Lord Jesus and the disciples at this time, Salt was very important because it was an agent that preserved things. By the nature of its chemical makeup, salt uh, has a tendency to endure longer. Its properties do not break down as quickly or as easily as many others. And so salt was used as a preserving agent. Many of you have had country ham. And uh, country ham is good, right? The older I get, though, the less of it I can eat because I want water all day long. I remember Gary Glaze used to take me up here to a place to get country ham, and we go to the country ham breakfast up in, in Granite Falls and sawmills. And I remember the, the day we went, I was excited to go, and it was a great event, and, uh, but all day long I wanted something to drink. That salt, though, is not just there to, to give it flavor. That salt was, was, was put on that ham to preserve it and, and to keep it from breaking down, to keep it from deteriorating. And, and the Lord Jesus Christ likens the effect of a disciple upon a culture, upon a world, to that of salt. And so I want you to see it here in Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 13. He said, ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. And then he gives another parallel, another picture for us. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And he giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. 
Now here in this passage, the Lord Jesus points to two aspects of the life of the disciple and his impact upon the world around him. Now, why has the Lord Jesus Christ called us to himself? Well, he's called us to himself because he loves us and he desires to save us. But he's also called us to himself because he wants to manifest himself to the world through us. When God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees, he said to Abraham, here's my plan for you. I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make you a blessing. And you will be a blessing to all the nations, all the families of the earth. They'll be blessed through you. In other words, as they see you and your family, the seed that I will bless you with, as they see your descendants, as they get to know you, they're going to get to know who I am. And so, Abraham, I'm going to make you a worldwide blessing. And the Lord Jesus, as he called Abraham or the, or the Chaldees, has called us into himself. And his desire is to make us, as Peter wrote, a, a, a royal uh, a chosen generation, a, a royal priesthood, so that he might bring glory and honor to himself through us as we make him known. Now, to help us understand how we're to do that, he, he gives us two pictures here in Matthew chapter 5, the salt of the earth. And what does salt do? Well, it has a, a preserving effect. It has a, a, a seasoning effect. And he says, if the salt have, has lost its savor, if it's lost its ability to season, if it's lost its power, wherewith shall it be salted? What is he speaking of? He's speaking of the earth. How will the earth be salted? How will it be preserved? How will it be seasoned? How will there be rays of light and hope and blessing in this wicked, dark, perverse, crooked generation in which we live if the salt of the earth, the saints of God, have lost their savor? He says, you're the light of the world. And if that light is put under a bushel, under a basket, then how will the world receive light? Well, the obvious answer to that is it won't. And so he says in verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now let's go back to Mark chapter 9 and let's understand the context. The Lord Jesus Christ is warning his disciples of the dangers along the road to discipleship. And as he closes this passage in verse 49 and 50, he speaks to them of the saltiness of the saints, that we are to be distinct. We are to have a savor of salt within us. And there are two aspects of that here in verses 49 and 50. First of all, uh, salt as it speaks of sacrifice, of sacrifice. Uh, and in particular, in the Old Testament, when offerings were made, they were to be seasoned with salt. And here he speaks of a sacrifice that is salted with salt. And this reminds us that the life of the disciple is a life of sacrifice. I want you to go with me to Romans chapter number 12. Romans chapter number 12. Now remember, if we are disciples, we understand that we know the Lord. He has purchased us with his own blood 
Therefore, we belong to him. We are not our own. We are bought with a price. And how are we to live our lives? Well, we're to live our lives differently than those in the world. And so he says to us in Romans chapter 12 and verse number 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living, what's the next word, church? Sacrifice. Here's what the Lord says. You are to present your body as a living sacrifice. Now remember what he said earlier. If your hand offends you, cut it off. If, if your eyes offend you, pluck them out. If, if your feet offend you, cut them off. And he's teaching us here to mortify the members of our body, those, those members that would lead us into sin. Now, here's what we know, and I didn't point out this morning, but my hand doesn't get me in trouble. What gets me in trouble is my heart, right? Every man is, is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust. He's enticed and he's tempted, and, and, and when he submits to that temptation, uh, then that brings sin, and sin, when it is finished, it brings death. And so the Lord Jesus Christ uses this language, this very vivid language, to drive home the point that we must mortify the deeds of the flesh. And instead of yielding our members as instruments of unrighteousness, the Lord says we are to present our bodies, that's all of our members, to him as a living sacrifice. Now, normally a sacrifice would be laid on the altar and it would be killed. Its blood would be shed. But here the Lord is teaching us that we are to lay our lives upon the altar, not so that we might have our blood shed and our life end, but there is a sense in which that happens. But know that we might live and expend our energy, our emotion, our will would be submitted completely to him, our bodies would be presented to him so that he might have free control of us so that he might live in us and through us in a way that brings glory and honor to him. And so as we learn to die to self and be alive unto Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, then our bodies can be agencies that God can use in his service. And so the Lord says to his disciples, I want you to be salty, saints, and be ready to sacrifice. Then go back with me, if you would, please, to Mark chapter number 9. And then notice what he says again in verse 50. Salt is good. But if the salt have lost his saltness, wherewith will ye season it? In other words, if, it's, if it has no power, if it has no potency, if it has no savor. I've, I've tried the no salt once or twice. Somebody's usually maybe had it. We've never really, I don't think we've ever purchased it and brought it to our house, but I don't know why we would do such a thing. Some people have to do that, I know. But it is no substitute, let me tell you. The no salt. You want the real deal, right? And uh, when, you, when you season your food with that, it provides uh, just the taste that you need. When they would rub it on 
the meats and the other things to preserve their food, it would do the job. But once that salt has lost its potency, then it's really not good for anything. And the Lord is warning his disciples here that they not lose their saltiness. And if they lose their saltiness, then they are not good for anything. What do you want for your life? Well, the disciples were called up maybe with who's the greatest. And they were concerned about, you know, not letting this group get ahead of their group, but everybody in their group is the main group, and we can't let these people outside of our group do anything in the name of Jesus because that might cause people to look to them instead of us. All of these are symptoms of our pride in our flesh, right? And so to protect their position and to try to achieve their position and the goals of their lives, they become more concerned about themselves and not about him and his work, the Lord Jesus' work, in and through their lives. And if they're not careful by doing so, they're going to lose the savor. They're going to lose the preserving effect of their lives. They're going to lose the savory aspect of their lives, which creates in men a thirst and a hunger for God. And once they've lost that, what do they have? Nothing. Nothing. And so he says to them, have salt in yourselves and have peace one with another. Now, this third area that he dealt with was corruption, the power of sin in their life, and it's very subtle and how it works to hinder them and rob them of the power and potency that the life of the Holy Spirit imparts to them. And he warns them of the danger of causing others to stumble. He warns them of the danger that they themselves would stumble, and he warns them of the danger here ultimately in these verses that not only will others who, who believe and not only will they stumble, but the fact that they have lost their potency will no longer be useful in bringing the world to Christ because the world will see them as worthless salt to be thrown along the roadside and trodden under the foot of men. Now, when the, when, when the, the, the final chapter is written on the Tabernacle Baptist Church, when the final chapter is written upon your life, what do you want the book to say? I hope that our desire, corporately and individually, is that we would be true and faithful disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would be people who were willingly giving ourselves sacrificing ourselves, that we might become a living sacrifice. And when he has us, he has everything we have, right? He has our time. He has our mind. He has our energy. He has our passion. We give ourselves. We lay our all upon the altar and give ourselves to Jesus. And then that we would obey him, that we would be obedient to his voice. And if so, notice how he concludes it. Have salt in yourselves and have peace one with another. All this rivalry, 
all of this division, all of this exclusion, even the corruption that could sneak into their lives so easily. He said, if you have salt in yourself, if you obey me, if you yield yourself to me, you won't be characterized by division, but you'll have peace one with another. And as you have peace one with another, you will glorify me and the world will see Jesus Christ through you. Now we see a beautiful picture of that, don't we, in the book of Acts? when the church of Jesus Christ filled with the power of the Holy Spirit is unified and moving forward together and God's power and blessing is upon them. But when pride divides that church and those people, we see a hindrance to the work of God. And what did Paul address to the Corinthian church? Their carnality was seen in the division among them. They were a church that came behind in no gift. I mean, they could sing. The choir was great. They had it all together. But they had become carnal because they were divided. They were lifted up in pride. And so the Lord Jesus said, have peace one with another. Now, I just want to give you some concluding thoughts from this text concerning the life of a disciple. And we'll move very quickly through them, and uh, I hope you'll write them down. Number one, as we look at all of these verses together, verses 30 through 50, number one, the life of a disciple is a life of learning. The life of a disciple is a life of learning. As believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, the word disciple means a learner, a follower. And so the Lord Jesus here in verse number 31, he taught his disciples. We read over and over again of his teaching ministry. You see, he did not come simply to do miracles. The miracles, however, give authority to his teaching. The miracles testify of who he is, and knowing who he is, therefore, we are to listen to his voice. And so the life of a disciple is a life of learning. That's why we read our Bible. That's why we go to church. That's why we go to Sunday school. Why? Because we want to learn. We want to learn. God not only teaches us in a classroom, but he teaches us in life through circumstances, difficulties, and victories. God uses these things to, uh, to, to drive home the truths of his word in our lives. The life of a disciple is a life of learning. And let me tell you what the hardest class in the whole program, death to self. What is he teaching them about? He's teaching them about his death and his resurrection. They don't want to hear that. They want to hear about the kingdom. They're concerned about their position in the kingdom. Am I going to be next to you on the right hand? One of the, the disciples, one of the disciples' mother asked that question. Are my two sons going to be there? I'm concerned about my boys. Are they going to be right there at your right hand? But the life of the disciple is a life that leads to death to self. And only when we're willing to come to the place where we're willing to die to self will we experience what true living is all about. The life of a disciple is a life of learning. Number two, the life of a disciple is a life of accountability. It is a life of accountability. We live in an age where people do not like to be held 
to any level of accountability. But the Lord Jesus Christ holds his disciples here to a level of accountability. He asks the question in verse uh, number 33, what was it that ye disputed among yourselves, by the way? Now, he already knew what they disputed. But he asked them so as to confront them with the attitude that they had developed and the pride that they were uh, allowing, uh, the, the, the pride in their lives. He's confronting that. And so the, the life of a disciple is a life of accountability. Not only are we accountable to the Lord, but we are accountable to one another. As a church family, we're accountable to one another. Number three. True greatness is characterized by humility and service. True greatness is characterized by humility and service. Notice the principle he lays down for them in verse 35. If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. Here he gives them a paradox that says, if you want to be first, then be content being last. If you want the position of power, then become a servant. Humble yourself. True greatness is characterized by humility and service. Number four, a disciple must be no respecter of persons. A disciple must be no respecter of persons. Notice in verse 36, And he took a child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one such children in my name receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me receiveth not me, but him that sent me. Now, it was, it was different in this day than it is in our day. Uh, the children born to us, we carry pictures of them. We post pictures of them. We, we sort of center our lives around them oftentimes. And that was not the mindset of the Jews in this day. And to receive a child was to receive someone who offered you no benefit. He had nothing to, to give to you. There was no way that you could gain something by, by receiving him or by ministering to him. Rather, what many people thought about with all the responsibilities and the obligations that went with caring for a child. And here we find the Lord is saying, don't try to position yourself and get ahead by making connections with the right people. Be willing to receive anyone into your number. Do not be a respecter of persons. Oftentimes people think, well, you know, if that guy got saved, he could really do something for God. Well, the Bible tells us that not many uh, noble are called, not, 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 not the people that the world imagines. But God chooses us. God calls us, not revered by the world, with seemingly very little to offer him. He is willing to receive us. And the Bible teaches us that God himself is no respecter of persons. Therefore, neither should we. We should receive everyone equally. Let me give you the fifth thing. The determining factor to identify another disciple. The determining factor to identify another disciple does not depend upon his willingness to follow us. 
but to follow Jesus. I'll repeat that. That was a long one, right? The determining factor which, uh, which identifies another disciple does not depend upon his willingness to follow us, but his willingness to follow Jesus. Now, here's what I found. If we're willing to follow Jesus, we have the same Bible, we have the same Holy Spirit, God will lead us together. I preached last Sunday night about this attitude of exclusion that sometimes, especially among independent Baptists, can be developed. But let me be clear. Let me be clear. We're not, we're not promoting uh, advocate or advocating in any way that, we, that we, we join up with crowds that do not adhere to the doctrines of the faith. We have to walk in truth. Paul gave many admonitions concerning that, that we're not to be joined together with false teachers. But there are many people who just, as Apollos, haven't had the opportunity yet to learn. And so we must, as Aquila and Priscilla, receive them and expound to them the Word of God more perfectly. But the danger is that we would be lifted up in pride and, and see ourselves as the authority. And so the test of identifying a disciple is not dependent upon their willingness to follow us, our group, but to follow Jesus. Number six, we must help not hinder others in their service to the Lord. Remember what the disciples did in verse number 38. They said, he followeth not us, and we forbade him because he followeth not us. Verse 39, but Jesus said, Forbid him not, for there is no man which should do a miracle in my name that can likely speak evil of me. Now, as we looked at the context, remember the demoniac boy, the disciples couldn't deliver him from this demon, and now they meet a man who is able to cast out a devil on the heels of their inability to cast out a devil, which would lead us to believe that there was no doubt some jealousy involved in their decision-making. people are going to start looking to this guy. We failed and he succeeded. We don't like to fail, do we? We don't like it when our children don't follow our directives or when they don't embrace everything that we have embraced. It challenges us. It, it uh, causes us to be offended. It causes that pride to swell up within us to the point that we like to sort of compel them and force them to be conformed to our image. And that's what happened here. And the Lord says to them in verse 40, for he that is not against us is on our part. For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. He says, look, think about somebody who gives you a cup of water. What's water do? It refreshes you. Think about the person who refreshes you. He will not lose his reward. Well, there's an obvious side to that coin uh, that tells us that if we refresh those, then we will not lose our reward. And so the point here is don't hinder people in their service, but help them in their service as long as they are following me. Number seven. 
disciples realize that they do not live to themselves. and that their sinful actions can hinder other believers. Verse 42, And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, that's the qualifying statement there. He is, he is speaking of those who believe in him. It is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. In other words, understand that you don't live to yourself and your actions and your sins impact others. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 8, he explains this to the Corinthian believers. I want to read it to you. I invite you to turn there with me if you'd like. 1 Corinthians chapter number 8 and verse number 9. Here they're talking about their liberty. We hear a lot about liberty today, and we do have liberty in Christ. And, of course, the warning is, is that we not use our liberty as an occasion to sin, and also in the exercise of our liberty that we understand that the actions that we take can be a stumbling block to others. Notice in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 8, but take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block. That's a word that has the same meaning as offend in Mark chapter 9. This liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee which hast knowledge, sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when ye sin so against the brethren. Notice that. The exercising of your liberty to eat the meat, sacrifice to idols, if you do it in the presence of a weaker brother, he says, you have sinned against your brother and wound their weak conscience. Ye sin against who? Christ. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. Here's the point. Paul says, I am concerned for my brothers and sisters, and I understand that my actions affect them. Disciples realize that they do not live to themselves and that their sinful actions can hinder other believers. How many people have walked out of churches because of the attitudes and actions of people who attend those churches? And the Lord takes that very seriously. Number eight, disciples must be diligent to maintain purity. We, we looked at that thought this morning. It's better to cut it off, cut it off, pluck it out. Maintain purity. Guard your heart. Guard your mind. Number nine, disciples understand the awful consequences of sin and the judgment which awaits which awaits those who are unsaved. Disciples understand the awful consequences of sin and the judgment which awaits those who are unsaved. As you think about hell, as the Scripture reveals the suffering of hell, unquenchable fire, unending death, if you're a Christian, aren't you glad you're not going there? 
We need to be reminded of it more often. But hell is a real place, is it not? And people that we know, people that we love, people that we work with, people that we see in the shopping center, people who live in our neighborhood are headed there. And disciples understand what they don't. That it's an awful place. And therefore, may God help us to be his messengers. Number 10, I'll move quickly through 10 and 11 and we'll be done. Disciples are called to live a life of sacrifice and obedience. I shared that with you in the beginning of the message. We're called to live a life of sacrifice and obedience. And number 11, disciples act as a purifying and preserving agent in this world. A purifying and a preserving agent. Let me ask you a question. As the church has become more like the world in recent years, do we find the influence of the church increasing as those who advocated we become more like the world told us? we would become? In other words, let's adapt to the world's methods and means and we'll reach the world more effectively. Isn't that the line? Yes. Has that proven to be true? No. The more like the world the church has become, the less effective the church has become in the world. The salt is losing its savor. May God help us, as Jesus commanded his disciples, to have salt in yourselves and have peace one with another. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.